Well, hey, welcome to First Church. I hope you're excited to be here. I know I am. We've got family this morning meeting out at Stone Canyons with others who will join us later online. So you guys here at North Garnett, if you would, take a moment, welcome them into our time of study here today. Well, you've probably heard it said before that opposites attract. And I have to admit that is true because my wife and I, we are definite opposites. And I think that's a good thing because we balance each other out. And also, if I was married to somebody just like me, I would hate it. I would be miserable if I was married to somebody just like me. So I'm glad that she's different from me in many different ways. And one of those ways where we're opposites is she's what I like to call a pitcher. And I've talked about this before. A pitcher is somebody who throws things out regularly, you know what I'm talking about? Like if you're not using it or if they don't like it, they just get rid of it. I'm not like that at all. She would call me a borderline hoarder because I like to hang on to things. I'm more sentimental than she is about certain things and I like to hang on to stuff, but not Allison. My wife, she will throw things out and on any given day, I'll start looking for something. Where's that one thing? And she'd be like, you haven't used in six months, I got rid of it. And so we've had a lot of intense conversations over our married life about things that she's gotten rid of that I wanted to keep. And I'm going to give you a few examples. See whose side you're on on this, okay? Uh, one thing, when we first got married, been married for maybe, I don't know, two or three years, we decided to go on vacation to Florida. And so I bought a couple Hawaiian shirts. I kind of got into Florida beachy mood, you know, so I bought a couple Hawaiian shirts. And one of those shirts, she she absolutely hated. Now, I'm going to show you a picture of the shirt. Not yet. Don't put it up yet. I'm going to show you a picture of the shirt. Don't focus on what I look like, okay? Just focus on the shirt, and I want to see what you think. Go ahead and put it up on the screen. Here's me wearing the shirt. There you go. So she absolutely hated this shirt, could not stand it. From the first time I put it on, she wanted me to get rid of it. I loved it. It was comfortable. It felt good. I liked it a lot. You go and take that picture down. Let me just see by a show of hands. How many guys like that shirt? Anybody? All right. You guys are good, godly people. You know, how many guys hate that shirt? Anybody hate the shirt? Okay, we'll, we'll work on you guys. But anyway, Allison hated it, and I wore it several times, and every time I did, she would make fun of it. And one day, I went to my closet and it wasn't in there. I was like, what happened to my Hawaiian shirt? And she was just like, I told you I didn't like it. And she got rid of it. She took it to Goodwill. And you know, it wouldn't fit me now anyway. But still, I, that was a fun shirt. I liked it. Let me tell you something else that we've kind of had some conversation about. When it comes to technology boxes, you know, the boxes that technology comes in, this is a box for a MacBook, and I got my MacBook uh, about a year and a half ago, and I wanted to hang on to the box. I don't know why I do this. I just like hanging on to the boxes. She was just like, we don't need this. It's just taking up space. And I was like, yeah, but I might need it for something. She said, what are you going to need it for? Uh, you're past the time when you can take it back, and if you have to have it worked on for some reason, they're not going to ask for the box. You don't need it for anything. So she threw it out. This isn't actually my box. Box. This is another one of our staff members' boxes who held on to his. But my wife got rid of mine, but I was talking with my assistant in our office this week, and my assistant was telling me that actually if you hang on to the box and you go to resell your MacBook, you can get more money out of it that way. So Allison, ha, I was right, okay? I should have hung on to it, but she got rid of it. Something else we've had a conversation about, ketchup packets. You guys know what I'm talking about? You go to a fast food restaurant, you have extra ketchup packets. You know what my family always did? We put them in the fridge and we used them during a later meal, you know? And that way we save the bottle of ketchup that we bought at Walmart or wherever for later. You know, we don't waste money. And so we would use these ketchup packets first. We always did that. Her family never did that. They're, they were more highfalutin than my family, I guess. But we tried to save money at every corner. And so we would hang on to our ketchup packets or our Taco Bell packets or whatever, and we would use them 
as needed. So all the time, I will take these extra packets we get when we go to a fast food place, put them in our fridge, and then I will go to use them, and guess what? They're gone. They're not in the fridge because she sees them, and she throws them out. They're probably one of the most intense conversations we had. I say that in a loving way. Intense conversations we had about something that she wanted to throw out was a piece of exercise equipment that we bought several years ago. We bought an elliptical, kind of like this one right here. I say kind of like this one because this isn't it. She got rid of it. But we bought an exercise machine for me to work out on. And I was all excited. I was pumped. I was ready to go. And I was going to exercise like every day, do so many minutes a day. And, you know, I did for a while. But then after a few weeks, it was less and less. And then pretty soon, not at all. And I knew I needed exercise. I just got out of the habit. And so for months, our elliptical just kind of sat in our house collecting dust, going unused. And she told me, she said, if you don't use it in the next month, I'm going to get rid of it. And I didn't believe her. I should have, but I didn't. And so one day I'm at the office. This is when we still live back in Kentucky. I'm at the office. I get a text message from her. And she said, hey, we have some people coming over to the house today at 530. Can you make sure you're here? And I'm like, yeah, sure. I'll be home by that time. I thought she meant she invited some friends over. So I go to, I'm there by 530. And the people coming over are people she had sold our elliptical to online who were coming to pick it up. And they were ready to carry it off. And sure enough, they took it because I hadn't used it in a month like she warned me. And she told me to. And you know, I had the best of intentions when it came to exercising. I really did. I wanted to. I believed that I needed to exercise. I believed I needed to use this elliptical and lose some pounds and get in better shape. I believed it. But my belief over time didn't translate into action. And one thing that I have learned is that if belief doesn't, belief will not work. Belief won't do any good if it's not put into action. In fact, the Bible teaches this. In James 2, verse 17, it says, Faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. And what the Bible is getting at is pretty simple, but I think we all know this to be true. The right beliefs won't do us any good if those beliefs don't translate into action. See, I can believe all day long that I need to exercise, and I can believe that's the right thing to do, but I can believe I need to exercise while still sitting on my couch watching TV, and you guys know that's true. I can believe that I need to eat right and eat healthier, but I can believe I need to eat right as I'm eating a Big Mac and some fries, right? We can believe the right stuff. I can have the best of intentions when it comes to exercise, but if I don't actually get on the elliptical, if I don't actually join a gym, if I don't get a trainer or go running or do those things that cause me to get in better shape, then my belief is meaningless. So how is it that we move from belief to action. Well, studies tell us that if you want to move from belief to action, the number one factor that will cause you to do that when it comes to health and exercise and dieting and good habits is simple, but it's pretty profound. It's community. Anyone who has studied human nature will tell you, we grow best in community. If you want to get in shape, then the best thing to do is not just to start working out, but to work out with someone or with a group of people. Maybe join a class at a gym or hire a trainer because when your alarm clock goes off at 5 a.m. and you don't want to get up and work out, if you've already paid somebody to be there, then you don't want to waste your money. Or if you know there's somebody waiting on you to work out with you, they're going to hold you accountable. It's best to work out with people. 
If you want to eat right, it's best to tell all of your friends and family, hey, I'm going to eat right. I want you guys to do this with me so that together you're holding one another accountable. If you want to run a marathon, the best thing to do is not to get out and just start running, but to get with some other people who also want to run a marathon and train together. And I think we all know this practically to be true. I remember when I was in high school, I played soccer all four years In the summer in between, or the off-season in between uh, my junior and my senior years, a bunch of the parents got together and they hired a personal trainer to keep us in shape uh, during the off-season. And so we got this personal trainer, we all got memberships to Gold's Gym, and we went different days and we were in groups in order to train with this guy to stay in shape. And sure enough, I did. I stayed in shape. I was probably in the best shape of my life. I had muscles back then that I've never had since. I mean, it was awesome. It was really cool. But then at the end of that period of time that we had hired this trainer, some of the parents said, okay, we've done that. We don't want to do it anymore. I still wanted to keep doing it. And my parents said, well, we can't afford to pay this trainer just for you. So you've already done these exercises and you know what it takes to stay in shape and build muscle. Just do it on your own. And so we kept my gym membership but didn't pay the trainer. And I did that for like two or three times. And then I stopped. Because without somebody holding me accountable, I will just didn't want to do it, or I grew further and further away from doing it. Because we grow best in community. And this is something that the Bible teaches. In Proverbs 27, 17, it says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. In other words, the Bible is saying spiritually, just like when it comes to exercise or eating right or anything else, spiritually, we need people who will sharpen us who will keep us focused, who will encourage us and motivate us and hold us accountable, who will help us grow into the people God wants us to be. So let me ask you, who are your life-sharpening people? Because here's the problem. Churches today are full of people who have the best of intentions, who have good intentions. They believe the right stuff. Like, they believe they need to pray, And they believe they need to serve, and they believe they need to live for Jesus. They believe all the right stuff, and they have the best of intentions, but their intentions don't always translate to action. I mean, here at First Church, our mission statement, we talked about this last week, and we're talking about it all throughout this series we're in right now. We are First Church. Our mission statement is love Jesus, love like Jesus. And you've seen that on T-shirts and on our wall outside and different places throughout our building, on our website. You guys know that. And if I were to take a quick poll right now and say, hey, raise your hand if you believe we need to love Jesus and love like Jesus, probably most of the hands in the room would go up, and most of the hands out at Stone Canyon would go up. I get that, but... That's easier said than done. We all believe we need to do that, but we struggle sometimes to practically do that, to actually live that mission out. And our world is full of Christians who don't necessarily act on their beliefs like they should, and so their beliefs end up becoming like this elliptical machine, something that's there, but over time just collects dust and goes unused. I mean, I believe in forgiveness. The Bible teaches me I need to forgive people. But you know what? I don't always do a great job forgiving others like I should. I believe as a follower of Jesus, I should give generously. But that's a lot easier said than done. I mean, I believe that looking at porn is wrong. And I know it's going to affect my marriage. And it's going to hurt my future relationships if I'm not married yet. But you know what? It's hard to quit. I believe in marriage and the sanctity of marriage, but I don't always love and support my spouse like I should. I believe in loving my neighbor, but have you met my neighbors? 
And just last week, we talked about getting out of the hammock and picking up a towel, living the towel life instead of the hammock life. And let me ask, how many of you guys did that this past week? Who'd you serve? Who did you serve who didn't deserve it? Who did you serve who didn't ask for it? Who did you serve who couldn't pay you back? Who'd you serve this past week? See, many of us believe the right stuff, but we don't always act on it like we should. And our faith ends up becoming nothing more than just unused exercise equipment collecting dust sitting in the corner of a room. And that's why the Bible repeatedly teaches us we grow best in community. The relationships you have right now will determine where you go. They will determine where you are headed. Now, sometimes when I talk about the subject or the theme of community, people will say to me later, well, Chad, I've got community. I mean, I'm surrounded by people all the time. I encounter people on a regular basis. People live in my same house, and I go to work with people, or I see people in school. I know the other parents on my kid's soccer team. I mean, I'm surrounded by people all the time. And I get that, and all that's fine. But when I ask, who are your life-sharpening people? What I'm asking is this. Do you have friends who are helping you be more like Jesus? Because there is a huge difference. I've heard my entire life, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. In fact, the Bible even says that. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, bad company corrupts good character. Bad company corrupts good character. I have a friend who preaches at a real large church and he likes to summarize that verse in three words. Stuff rubs off. And I think we all know that to be true. We've experienced this in life. I mean, some of us know people who can't put together two sentences without cussing. Do you think profanity rubs off? Absolutely. We all know people who cut corners and cheat to get ahead. You think that if you just spend all your time with those people, that's going to rub off? You bet it will. Some of us know people who are lazy and they, have, and they feel entitled all the time. Do you think laziness and entitlement rubs off? Yeah, it does. What about negativity or selfishness? You think those things rub off over time? Yeah, they do. Stuff rubs off. 1 Corinthians 15.33, bad company corrupts good character. But if that's true, and we all know it is, then the opposite of that is also true. Good company cultivates good character. And that's why the Bible also teaches in Proverbs 13.20 and emphasizes this, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. See, if you walk with godly, Christ-centered people, their attitude, their behavior, their outlook on life is going to rub off. Now, some of us have friends who get up every single morning and the first thing they do is go to God's Word and they read it and they pray and they have this inner joy that the world doesn't have. It doesn't mean that their life is perfect and that everything always works out for them, but they have this joy that, is, that just can't be explained. And so if you hang out with people like that on a regular basis, can joy be contagious? Can joy rub off? Absolutely. Others of us know people who strive to have a healthy, godly, Christ-centered marriage. You think if you hang out with those people, spend time with those people, that that's going to rub off and that's going to influence your relationships? You bet it is. Some of us know parents 
who make sure that when it comes to raising their children, that their children's priorities are right, that God always comes first. So they regularly pray with their kids around the dinner table and they talk about God. They teach their children about Jesus, how to love like him. When it comes to sports and clubs, they let their kids be a part of those things, but they never let those things take the place of church or come before church. Do you think that by spending time around those parents who realize that, yeah, my kid may not go pro one day, but he is going to stand before God one day, do you think that by hanging out around those parents that their parenting style will influence you and rub off? Absolutely. Students, some of you right now know other students who have committed themselves to saving themselves for marriage. They want to stay pure for their spouse one day. And so they're not going to sleep around. They're not going to fool around. Do you think that by hanging out with those people, that will encourage you and influence you? Absolutely. Why? Because the relationships you have will determine where you go. As we looked at this verse just a little earlier, Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. So do you have life-sharpening people who are going to help you move in the direction of Jesus? Now, I've heard that these people exist. I, I'm not sure. Um, I have struggled to find them, but I've heard that there's a certain type of people that exist. You guys help me out with this. Uh, I've heard that there are people out there who actually enjoy mowing their yard, mowing their lawn. You guys know people like this? Do they really exist? Let me just see. Anybody out there enjoy mowing their yard? Oh, man, you people, I don't want to get you, but God still loves you. I, I do not enjoy taking care of my yard at all. I do not like mowing it. I know I got friends in this church who tell me, they say, you know, when I go out and mow my yard, it's just time to myself, and I get to clear my head. I'm thinking, you're nuts. I can find other ways to clear my head, I promise. But that's fine. Like I said, God still loves you. Maybe you can help me figure it out one day. But I don't like taking care of my yard. I, I really don't, never have. And ever since I've been a homeowner, that's been the worst part, really. I have a push mower and I just don't enjoy keeping up with it. But I have to admit, taking care of my yard here in Oklahoma is much easier than back in Kentucky. One reason is we have a flat yard, so that helps. That helps a whole lot. And another thing is the grass is easier to mow. Now, if you've ever lived back in Kentucky or that part of the country, we have Kentucky bluegrass. It's a real thick grass that grows really fast. And so there are times of year you're mowing your yard like three or four times a week in order to keep it under control. Here we don't have that. We've got Bermuda grass, so it's thinner and it doesn't grow as fast. I, that is better, I have to admit. I do like that a lot better. But still, I don't enjoy it. And so when it comes to taking care of my yard, a lot of times I do just enough to get by. I don't want to be lazy, but I just hate it. I just don't like it. And so I remember after we had owned our first home for like, I don't know, first two or three years. I can't remember how long it was. But I'm out mowing my yard, and I realize that my lawnmower, my push mower, is not doing the job that it once did, that it's not cutting it as clean, as nice as it once did. And so I just assumed, uh, this is a bad mower, you know, it's a lemon, I'm going to have to buy another one, whatever. So I'm talking to my dad on the phone, and I'm telling him what's going on, and my dad immediately says, have you sharpened the blades? And I'm like, you can do that? Then he's like, yeah, have you sharpened the blades? He's like, well, obviously I haven't. So I sharpened the blades, then I went to Mulligan. Guess what? It was doing what it used to do. It was exactly what I, it was doing exactly what I needed it to do. And you know, there's a life lesson there, besides the fact I know nothing about that kind of stuff. There's a life lesson there, and it's this. Dual blades aren't going to do the job they're designed to do. And that's true when it comes to our faith. 
Unless we have people in our lives who are consistently sharpening our faith, as the Bible tells us we need, then our faith over time will grow dull. And that's why our partnership with the local church is so important and so essential. Hebrews 10.24 says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on. You guys know what a spur is, right? You're from Oklahoma. You know what a spur is. And so let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. See, the church exists to be a community. The church exists to be the community we need. A community that helps us love Jesus and love like Jesus. And I think the first century Christians, they got this. They understood this. And I want us to see how it practically played out in their lives. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 2. And we're going to look at verse 42. And look at the example of these early Christians. This is the first church that ever existed in the city of Jerusalem. And let's look at their example. Verse 42. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, if you know anything about the earliest Christians, those who first met as the church in the city of Jerusalem, you know that they, you know that they are known for one thing, their incredible, phenomenal growth. In just a few decades, the followers of Jesus grew from 12 original disciples to 120 meeting in the upper room in Jerusalem, to 3,000 on the day of Pentecost when the church officially began, to 5,000 just a few days later, and then pretty soon there are thousands upon thousands of people following Jesus throughout Judea, and by the end of the book of Acts, the name of Jesus is being proclaimed all over the world. The church in its earliest days experienced phenomenal incredible growth and that's why I love the line verse 47 which we just read and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved and isn't that what we want to be known for as a church don't we want to be known for a church that God is working through to impact lives where lives are being changed and transformed every single day because he is at work within us I mean the early church was known for being a people who were turning the world upside down that's what secular rulers and authorities were saying about these early Christians that they were turning the world upside down changing the world as they knew it don't we want to be known for doing just that for people who are impacting and changing lives on a daily basis. So what was the secret to their growth? Why did the early church have such phenomenal growth? Well, there are many reasons for it. But one reason that I think is important is that they understood the importance of biblical community. Look at verse 46. It says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So look at that verse. First of all, it says they met together in the temple courts. Why do they meet in the temple courts? Well, by this point, the church is over 3,000 people. 
They didn't have a church building to meet in yet. <laughs> they haven't built any buildings yet. So the only place that was big enough to hold their congregation, hold their church, was a temple courts. It's the one place they could all come together and meet and worship. So they met together first in the temple courts together as one body in the city of Jerusalem. But then it goes on to say that they then met together in their homes. In other words, they broke up into smaller groups. After they were done meeting in the temple together as one body, they broke up in smaller groups on a more intimate, personal level. Why? Because they knew they needed the large corporate body. They needed that time of large corporate worship together with the body. They needed that time, and that was important. But then they also needed to build personal relationships with other Christians because following Jesus is hard and difficult, and you need other people that will do life with you. You need those close, godly friends to support you and encourage you and help you out. The early followers of Jesus knew we grow best in community. They knew that their relationship with God would never be all that it could be if they weren't intentional about cultivating godly relationships. And that's why we here at First Church want to be like the first church. We believe that biblical community is essential to us carrying out the mission that Jesus has given us. So when you decide to join First Church, you're not joining a club. We talked about this last week. You're not joining a club where you just get your name on a list somewhere. No, you are partnering with a community that believes we are here for a reason, that we are here to impact Northeast Oklahoma and beyond, that we are here to turn Northeast Oklahoma upside down for the sake of Jesus. And when you join our church, you are partnering with a community that does three things. We pursue Jesus, we grow together, and we unleash love. That's what it means to be a member, to be a partner with First Church. We're a people who say we're going to do three things, pursue Jesus, grow together, and unleash love. This is what it means to be part of our church. We believe this is our discipleship strategy, and we believe this is what it will take for us to impact Northeast Oklahoma if we all commit to doing these three things. And so what I want to do in today's message is I want to really focus on that one corner of the triangle which says grow together. Because if you're not part of a smaller group, a smaller group within our church that will hold you accountable, that will strengthen you, pray for you, do life with you, this is something we believe that you need. We want you to have a smaller group of friends within our church. Because church our size, it's easy just to come in and participate in service and leave and never really have any communication with anybody, never talk to anybody. And we believe the biblical example is you need close godly friends who will challenge you, who will hold you accountable, who will surround you with love when you need it and, and support you. And so today is our yearly sign up for fall life groups. And today, if you want to be part of one of our life groups, which is what we call our small groups here, you can go out to our hub area after service and you can sign up for a group. When you walked in the door today, you should have got some information on our life groups. And you can tell we've got groups of all sizes, all ages that meet at different times. There is a group for you. And if you need something more specific, we have other classes and groups that also meet. One thing I want to highlight is 
This fall, we're going to have a special grief share group. It's going to meet on Wednesday nights starting on the 28th of this month. And our grief share group is for those people who have experienced significant loss in their life, like the loss of a loved one, a friend, or a family member. And it's going to meet on Wednesday nights at Bailey Hospital just across the street from our North Garnett campus. And if you want information about that, go see Jake Follis, our care minister. Come see somebody out at the hub today. But both our campuses, you're invited to be part of that grief share group. And then, of course, we've got classes and groups on Wednesday nights for our students and uh, for all different ages as well as we have groups that meet throughout the week on different nights. So there is a group for you and our groups launched this fall uh, starting the week of the 25th and we want you to be a part of one. Not because we just want to say, hey, we have this percentage of our people in small groups. We want you to be part of a group because we know following Jesus isn't always easy and we need the support of close godly friends who will keep us sharp when it comes to our faith. If not, then our faith will eventually become dormant, will eventually start collecting dust, and it will go unused. We grow best in community. And if you isolate yourself from other believers, you will end up isolating yourself from God. That's why Hebrews 10.25 warns us, do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. I had a conversation this week with a leader in our church. We went out and had a meal together, and as I was talking with him, he was telling me that at one point he drifted away from the church. And he said the reason why he drifted away from the church was because there were people in his home church that had stood up and had taught about Jesus and talked about Jesus and encouraged others to follow Jesus, and eventually they ended up doing things that hurt the reputation of the church, hurt the reputation of Jesus. And he said, I just got tired of hypocrisy, and so I drifted away from the church. Now, he's come back, and he's on fire. He knows how much he needs the church now. But it's funny, I was having that conversation with him, and later that day, I had a phone call from a family member of mine that was talking about different church leaders that have written books and had TV programs and well-known who have also hurt the reputation of the church because something that they've done or something that they're currently doing. And he just kept talking about hypocrisy and he asked me the question, this family member, how does this happen? How does somebody who stands up and teaches about Jesus and does so effectively or writes books that teach about Jesus and does so effectively, how does that person end up getting so far away from Jesus? And I don't know every situation, but I think a lot of times it's because those people, those individuals, don't have any life-sharpening people around them. And if they do, then they're lying to those people so that those life-sharpening people can't really help them. And I've seen this happen firsthand. There's a guy in my life who was a mentor of mine, a spiritual mentor of mine who I respected, my family respected a lot, and he ended up hurting a whole lot of people. He was a senior minister of a church, not the church I attended, but I knew of that church. He ended up hurting that church. That church had just continued to decline since he got into all of his trouble. And come to find out, even though he was a great preacher and a great teacher of God's word, he had nobody around him that was sharpening him, that was keeping him sharp when it comes to his faith. He thought he could do it on his own. And he hurt a lot of people in the process. Guys, we grow best in community. And if you don't have godly friends to hold you accountable, we want to challenge you today to get some. And we want to help you get some by joining a life group. But don't just take my word for joining a life group. 
take my life group's word. I asked, I sent out a text message this week uh, to my life group, the life group that Alice and I attend, and I said, can you share with me why you're a part of a group? And I just want to see what they would say. They're, I'm not paying them to say any of this, I promise. But uh, I just wanted to see what they would say. And so I pulled out a few quotes. I wish I could share all their quotes and everything they said. I don't have the time to do that. But just listen to what they said when they responded to this group text message. One person wrote, we have found our closest friends in group, and I couldn't imagine life without them. Here's what somebody else said. Being in a group of people who are all just as messed up as me, I love that, makes me feel a lot better about myself. We grow together, we laugh together, we do life together, and I wouldn't have it any other way. Someone else wrote, with our family far away, our group has given us a place to belong, a support system, and a sense of knowing we don't have to do life alone. Someone else wrote, finding our group is what made Owasso home for me. We have so many people in our group that have moved to Owasso. And this wasn't my family that wrote this. We've moved to Owasso as well. But we've had a lot of transient people in our community. And life groups help Owasso feel like home. They go on to say, it, is true, it truly is the core of my community. It's a huge comfort knowing I have a group of loving people I can rely on and do life with. Another person wrote, every life group I've ever been a part of has been characterized by depth. Corporate worship is important and necessary, but it's in life groups that relationships grow deeper. And this last one was my favorite. This person wrote, try to find a group with someone other than the lead minister because we always have to be on our best behavior when he is in the room. It gets exhausting. <laughs> that was my wife that wrote that one, okay? Thanks, hon. I appreciate that a lot. Guys, people in our community are hungry for community, real community. And so what we want to offer them is two things, and we want to offer the same to you. We want to help you to find godly friends, and we believe that's important that you have godly friends in your own life, but we also want to help you become a godly friend. And so many people throughout Owasso and beyond are looking for just that. They need community. According to a recent study by Duke University, one in three people don't have a close, trusted friend. That means that when it comes to you and the two people sitting beside you, one of those three people does not have a close, trusted friend. According to another study done by Cigna Health Insurance, 40% of Americans feel completely isolated in life. And guys, that's why the church exists the church solves one of the biggest problems we face, a lack of community. Our world today feels so isolated. We were created for community, for relationships, healthy relationships, and people in our culture today are longing for that, and the church solves the problem of that need. And so that's why we're so excited about what we have planned for this fall. Because those events that we talked about last week, you know, starting on August the 25th, we're going to have a tailgate Sunday, then the next Sunday, a Labor Day cookout, then Disneyland the next Sunday, a car show the next Sunday, and we're going to, on our last Sunday of that series, have a huge carnival, our first church carnival. The reason why we're doing all that is to invite people to come and see what this community is all about so that they can realize there's a community here who loves them, but most importantly, they can realize there's a God who loves them and cares for them. So many people need godly friends who will help them become best friends with Jesus. It's part of our mission here at First Church to do just that. So let me challenge you to do two things. First of all, find friends that will help you be more like Jesus. 
If you need to join a life group today, and I think we all need to be a part of one, join one. But second, be a friend that helps others be more like Jesus. Because we are First Church. And over time, we've realized that what we need is community. That we grow best in community. Be fully part of our community today. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the chance we have to be part of this community known as First Church. And we pray we don't take that for granted, but that, Father, we are fully a part of this community, that we find godly friends within it that will encourage us, but that also we be godly friends to other people who need us. Because following your son is not always easy. Sometimes it's hard. And we need others who will sharpen our faith and point us in the direction of him. So, Father, I pray for this church, and I pray that as we get closer to the fall, as we launch this fall series, you're invited, and we do all this stuff in order to invite our community to come and see what this church is all about. Father, be with us, work through us. Let this be all about introducing, introducing the people around us to the greatest friend that they could ever have, your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you so much, and it's through his name that I pray. Amen.